to St. John's Sermons, a podcast from St. John's Lutheran Church, North Prairie, Wisconsin, a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We offer this podcast with the loving encouragement to use it as a supplement to your own regular reception of the Lord's gifts of forgiveness and life in word and sacrament on the Lord's day. The Lord bless your hearing of these sermons. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text is the Holy Gospel. Dear friends in Christ, here's the word. I want you to imagine with me an utterly and totally ridiculous scenario. I want you to imagine that several of the houses next to us across the street from our playground have now been demolished and right up to our door, especially, the, I'm going to think of the door to the narthex, a super Walmart has been built. And that we no longer have a front entrance to the church, and the only way to get into the church is to walk through the super Walmart. You know, walk in the door, hang a left, walk past the pharmacy, walk past Beth and Beauty, walk past Pets, walk through Lawn and Garden, and then come through the door into the back of our church. <clears throat> now, I know not all Walmarts are structured that way, but those are the ones that I'm used to, and if I walk into one that's not structured that way, where I know that if I hang a left when I go, I know I'm going to hit pharmacy and bath and beauty, I get all confused and very frustrated. So that's the way, that's how my Walmart in my head is structured. But this is an utterly ridiculous scenario, is it not? You know this would never happen, don't you? Is it so ridiculous? My specific scenario might be out of question, but the scenario behind the scenario is precisely the problem in our text. The story behind the story is a story of an Israel that had become pretty comfortable with commerce. And we're allowing it to go on in the outer courts of the very temple, the very center of Jewish religion in Israel. Now, a lot of that commerce actually still served a bit of a purpose toward the temple. I mean, if you wanted to get something to sacrifice in the temple, you could buy it out there in the outer courts. But what's very interesting is that Jesus doesn't even abide that. That's not good enough. He draws a pretty strong line through his anger. And he says, this is utterly ridiculous. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, God or the money he gave you? (laughs) Or the things he gives you, the things he provides for you? Who comes first in all this? It is that classic... Uh, confusion that I've been talking about quite a bit in our midweek Lenten series, the confusion of what's first and what's second in our lives. We do this all the time. I've been applying it in the midweek Lenten services to the whole question of faith itself, that somehow we've made faith into our thing we do for God, which is a confusion of first and second, because in that sort of language, we're doing all this wonderful stuff. We're the subject of the verb, which means we come first. And God is the object, the recipient, which means he comes second. 
And to understand why Jesus throws a righteous rage in the temple is to understand that that's precisely how Israel is thinking. And he knows it's a reversal of what should be first and what should be second. And he knows why that temple was actually originally built. He knows why the first temple was built. He's not so sure about always the second temple and this temple that Herod took 46 years to build. Whether or not Israel had it right anymore. See, when the first temple was built, the king of Israel was only 14 years old. Bible trivia. You know who it was? It was the most wise man of the Old Testament. Solomon. And he was wiser at age seven. It was when he first became king at age seven that he prayed for wisdom. And God said, you know what? That's kind of impressive. You got your first and second right here because you could have prayed for money, riches, power, and all that kind of stuff, which I'll give you anyway, he basically says. But you prayed for wisdom. He got first things first at the tender age of seven. And now at 14, as the temple is being dedicated, the king on his knees with the whole nation there, on his knees praying to God. I would love to see an American president do this. I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. And I'm not talking about current states of affairs. He's on his knees praying to God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, this is your house. This house belongs to you. This is where you live. And when you are here on earth in this building and any one of your faithful people turns and faces Jerusalem and prays to you, you do what you say you're going to do. Forgive your people. First things first. It's God's house. Not anyone else's. And that sort of ridiculous idea that had come up in, in first century Israel, you could turn this place into a market, or at least even just the outer courts of it into a market, so that if people did want to go into the temple just simply to pray and be forgiven, they had to walk past all that stuff. They had to be subjected to that. This is what makes Jesus righteously angry. And it's not as ridiculous an idea in the minds of men as you and I might think. Surely, we would not allow this church building to become that. That doesn't necessarily mean we don't make this confusion in our own lives every day where number two things become more important than the number one thing. Where the gifts God gives in this building take a backseat to our own desires and our, our own uh, um, preferences. When you have to set the clocks ahead one hour, it makes church, even for pastors, a little bit more of a challenge. <laughs> I get it. I understand it. God be praised you're here today. God be praised that God is still number one. But it's hard. Sometimes this ridiculous notion isn't so ridiculous simply because the devil has paved the way for us to push the easy button or maybe the snooze button or whatever it is too many times. 
The devil has paved the way for us to get obsessed with our own finances and our own situation and to, and to worry, to let God's control over our life take a back seat to the fact that we don't feel very much like we're in control, so we start to fear, we start to worry, we start to do all those things. And what's happening is even if we're not selling anything or making a profit, we're still making the same mistake that they're making in the temple. Number one is quickly becoming number two. And the number two things of life are quickly becoming number one. This is all over the place, actually, in all three readings. I struggled at times when I looked at all three readings this week. The, uh, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament reading, and then uh, the, the, the wisdom of the cross, or maybe one should say the folly of the cross, and Christ crucified in the epistle lesson. But it's there. It's just there in spades. God says to Israel before giving the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. There's your number one. Then he says, you shall have no other number ones before me. No other gods before me. Why? Because God had delivered Israel out of the hands of their slave oppressors in Egypt. God had done it. He had taken care of it. He had demonstrated love and care for his people. And who wouldn't want that God as a number one? And then Paul says, we don't preach the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, watch your bank account. Watch your retirement savings. The wisdom of the world says, make sure you got food on the table. Make sure you got enough to drink. Make sure you got a roof over your head. And yes, those things are important, but... The Christian understands with a God who's number one that those are the blessings that come from a God who loves you. Those are the blessings that come from a God who's so good that he created this world for your use, for your good. He says, don't let those things start to overcome you. I can go to the whole subject, for instance, of drink and show you how that happens. It's not hard when you start drinking the wrong things too much. It's not hard to become a glutton. I like to, you know, I, I, mean, I don't rejoice in this, but there's pastor's sin of weakness probably. It's food. We all have them, don't we? Where those number two things start to become number one. And God would be right to look at us when we do this and get angry. Here's where the story takes an interesting twist. God pours all that white-hot wrath over our sin into a cup. And he makes his son drink it. He gives it to his son. He gives it to his son. Nails, spear, insults, ridicule. The whole thing seems so ridiculous. And yet in a world where people live who have this thing called sin, the Messiah could come and we would totally miss it. We would take our number ones over him as our number one. And we would contribute to this were it not for the grace of God and the miracle, well, plug for Wednesday, of faith. There's nothing in us that could just decide to follow this Jesus. 
It seems ridiculous in and of itself. Folly, as Paul would say, that Jesus would accomplish the salvation for us through a cross. And yet, that is what makes the Christian message one unique, two compelling, three superior to any other message in the world. You can look at your forwarded emails or the memes on Facebook all you want. Only one message gets to the heart of the matter. Only one message reverses things so that the God who we continually, every time we sin, place in second place, gets back into first place. Only one message takes sinners like you and me who probably are capable of some of these ridiculous things and sets us right again with God. Jesus didn't get angry much, you notice. Good little advice for all of us. But when he did, it was for the right reasons. I could have said to our children up there that sometimes when mom and dad get mad, they're right. Um, It's not wrong to necessarily get angry. It's important to know when to get angry and to, to keep your anger at bay as much as possible because it can lead to sinful behavior in a hurry. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saw that ridiculous stuff going on in the temple. He acted the way he did, clearing the whole thing out. And then he proceeded to take, bring everybody together and start talking about what was going to happen next. What was going to happen next is that the anger of God was going to get poured out, not on those people who saw just really a small display of it there in the temple that day. The anger of God is going to get poured out on him so that it would not be poured out on you. You see, God has his number ones and number twos, right? And what's very interesting is that you're his number one. And he won't let you fall into that trap. His grace is there for you when you do. He's there to catch you when you fall. And he didn't make you go to that cross. He gave that to his one and only son. The sun must rise and set on you, my friends, if God's willing to do that. He never reverses his ones and twos. Everything he does, from creating this world, from saving this world through the gift of his one and only son, and from making this world and people especially holy again through his gifts of forgiveness and life, everything he does, he does for you. And he won't let anything make you a number two in his life. You are his number one. Now our job is not to say, aren't I great because I'm God's number one. This is where I think a lot of American Christianity gets it wrong. Because this is what we sound like we're saying. Our job is to just simply remember who is number one. Offer our humble prayer and thanksgiving to him. Keep his houses holy with the word, with his gifts of forgiveness and life. And this temple, keeping it holy too. Not letting the temptations of the world dominate how we live in this body. But having as holy a temple here as we have here in North Prairie. And as Jesus intended in Jerusalem. And as holy as it will be when we go see the heavenly temple in the new heavens. The new earth.
Friends, one and two are so easy to confuse. We all do it, including your past, every day. Daily and much, the Catechism taught us. But our Lord never lets it slip. And neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor any of the good and bad stuff that's mentioned in Romans chapter 8 will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. A love where God has said, you're my number one. I'm not letting you go. God grant us a holiness. The only holiness that comes from lives where we are his temple. He rules. He reigns. He's number one. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue with the Apostles' Creed where we can... This podcast is a service of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. For more information, including location, service times, and links to other Lutheran agencies, please visit our website at www.stjohnsnp.org. That's www.stjohnsnp.org. Theme music performed by Mr. Philip Magnus.